So we've been in a little mini-series in the book of Isaiah here at Hope. And uh, we're, today we're in chapter 40. And if you were to look at an outline of the book of Isaiah, this is actually moving into a, a new section. And we'll talk more about that. So we're, we're looking at this text. And actually, day after tomorrow, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 53, which is another famous text in Isaiah, sometimes maybe more associated with, with Easter, but pointing to this, this Savior uh, that is born. So if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 40. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look on the Pew Bible on page 599. Again, Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. O oh, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his rule is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you say here that the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Lord, we pray that that word would be planted in our hearts. Um, that it wouldn't be my word that comes through, but, but your word to comfort, strengthen, and encourage, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, this, this passage, verse 1 to verse 11, is about comfort. And, and you see that opening call. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So it's the, this double command, this double call to, to comfort. But you might say, well, why is it that God's people needed this comfort in the first place? Because 
since we're not going just straight through this book for the series, you know, we, we missed some of the, the context that comes before. And if you were to, to go home and read Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 39, I think you would begin to understand why the people need comfort. Because one of the big themes in that section of Isaiah is judgment. And God's saying to northern Israel, to Judah, saying, watch out, judgment is coming. And it's coming because they had been persistently walking away from God. Uh, they were worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. They were disobeying the Ten Commandments. They were oppressing the poor, the fatherless. And it was even getting to the place where they were looking at nations around them that sacrificed their children, and they started sacrificing their own children to, to idols um, and you know, something that is, is unthinkable, unimaginable. And so therefore, God is, is promising he, that he's going to, to send judgment. And first, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, because Israel's divided north and south, went to captivity in Assyria. Um, later, um, the southern kingdom went into captivity in Babylon. And it, it's that captivity in Babylon that's actually predicted just before this passage. So if you look back just at the chapter before, chapter 39, and you look at verse 5, it says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is the king, and he says, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which is in your fa which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And then it follows with this sort of almost humorous note that, that Hezekiah says, well, at least it's not going to happen in my life. So he, he wasn't too upset. Uh, but that, that's interesting. You know, here's God saying, watch out that exile is coming. Uh, the writing's on the wall. The prophets have spoken. And, but yet, it won't arrive for another almost 150 years from the time of Isaiah. And then immediately, God goes from judgment's coming, you better watch out, to with almost no introduction at all, chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And so God is essentially predicting judgment for a generation not born, and then offering comfort to that same generation that still hasn't been born, just this judgment and comfort coming together. And I think that, that as we look at, at our lives, that we in certain ways can identify with Israel, or at least we probably should identify with Israel, because they were walking away from God, uh, thinking that other things could satisfy, that they could uh, find life somewhere else. And, and we do the same thing, that we look to, to pleasure or money or the approval of others, and we think, yes, this can make us happy. This can truly satisfy. But then God exposes our sin, exposes our rebellion. Um, scripture says that he disciplines the one he loves. Um, and there could be this, this moment of you know, waking up in the middle of the night and thinking about things you've done, things you've said, things you haven't done, things you wish you had said, feeling shame, uh, feeling um, unrest. And you think, is there comfort? Can others forgive me? Can God forgive me? Is there any hope here that we need comfort? But then also I think that there can be an, a, just a, a more general kind of comfort that we need as well, where it's, it may not be comfort in response to a specific sin of our own, but more of just the, the comfort that we all need 
living in a world that is impacted by sin, that every one of us sins and every one of us is sinned against in different ways. And, and we feel the effects of that. Uh, we experience pain. We experience death. And I think that, especially at this time of year, the Christmas season, that people begin to feel this, this sense of everyone else is doing really well. They're having a good time. They're celebrating. But you know, I'm grieving the death of a loved one. Or, or I don't have all that others have. Or I feel alone. And so we wonder, okay, even at a time where it feels like comfort is on offer, is there comfort for God's people? And thankfully, this passage then shows us what it looks like to find this, this comfort. Because we have to, to ask two questions, and if we're looking for this comfort, as Israel was after the captivity, the, the, the first question is, what is true comfort? Because I think that there can be a lot of, false ideas about what comfort actually is. But then the second question is, once we know what it is, how do we actually find it? So what is true comfort and how do we find it? And this is really what Isaiah unfolds for us in this text. So let's start with that first question of what is true comfort? Because our culture has this strange idea of comfort. We talk about comfort food or we talk about comfortable beds or comfortable couches or comfortable homes uh, the the worst thing is to be uncomfortable in any way we don't want uncomfortable conversations uncomfortable interactions and that in a lot of ways our culture has an idol of comfort that we will do almost anything to maintain this sort of superficial comfort in ourselves but what is true comfort according to this passage? Well, if you, if you look again at your Bible, verse 1, God is he's offering comfort. He's saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. But then he goes on to describe what this comfort is. In verse 2, he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. And, and I love that how he's saying it's, it's these tender words, which you would almost think of as soft words. But then he's saying, and cry to her. So it's this tender cry. Um, and, then, and then he unfolds three different aspects, that, that it's crying, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord double for all of her sins. And so if you take that, that first aspect, that she is received that her warfare is ended. And so you say, all right, there, there's peace. There's an end of conflict here. That's an aspect of this, this comfort, that there's no threat anymore. But then the, the second aspect is that her iniquity is pardoned. And so this comfort is tied up and connected to the forgiveness of sins, being pardoned by God for the things that we have done. And I think that that is especially important to notice about true comfort, because sometimes uh, there, we might have an offer of comfort that doesn't involve forgiveness of sins. Um, and it, it actually reminds me of the false prophets around the time of Isaiah. And God was always angry at the false prophets who would go to God's people and say, peace, peace, when there was no peace, that the false prophets would essentially try to offer a, a superficial kind of comfort. Uh, that they would say, 
it's fine. Just keep on doing what you're doing. You're not doing anything wrong. God is pleased with you. And, and that wasn't true comfort. That wasn't biblical comfort. And it was actually a lie that, that misled the, the people. But I think that, that that's very much the kind of comfort that we're offered today in our culture, that, that people say, well, there's no such thing as sin. Um, there, uh, God isn't a righteous God. He's not a holy God. He, he's not a God who, who punishes sins, uh, that you were, you were born this way. You're fine the way you are. Don't worry about it. You're basically good. Do what feels right. There's no right and wrong. There's no absolute truth. And so it, it's, at first, it seems like comfort because it's saying, hey, I'm okay. Uh, what I'm doing is fine, that, that, that God isn't going to hold me accountable. But it's not true comfort because here it says that our iniquity is pardoned. And then this, this third aspect, that we have received from the Lord's hand double for our sins. And you say, well, what's that? What does that mean? Receiving from the Lord double for all of our of our sins, and it's of course describing um, Jerusalem. And you know, some people look at this, and a few of the commentaries say, well, maybe this is describing judgment that that Israel had received double judgment from the hand of God, and so they essentially their their cup of judgment's filled up, so it's time to turn and offer comfort instead. And I don't, I don't think that that's correct. I don't think that's right because you think, well, God wouldn't give double judgment of what our sins deserve, that God is just, so he would only give the amount of judgment that our sins deserve, which is separation from him forever. That's what they deserve. It, why would he give a double portion? And so I, I think that it, it's better to see this, what we're receiving from the hand of the Lord is actually his sacrifice for us, the, the provision of sacrifice of his, of his grace and his mercy, and, and that this language of receiving from the Lord's hand in Scripture is often connected to sacrifice uh, in the, the book of Leviticus. So you can think about it like this, that you, take, you have the scale of, of God's justice, and you take all of your sin, everything you've done, put it on one side, and then take what you receive, this perfect sacrifice from God, put it on the other side, that it's a double portion for all our sins, that, that it, it outweighs all the things that we, we've done wrong. So there's a possibility of, of forgiveness, of acceptance in the sight of God. And it's that sacrifice that God provides that actually is described very soon after this in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. And I said, we'll look at this for our Christmas Eve service. But it says that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that's describing this, this portion from the Lord, double for all of our sins, beyond um, anything that we can think or Imagine in that in Christ, as we trust in him as our, as our sacrifice, we receive a double portion, not of, of judgment, not of the, the justice that, that we deserve, but we receive this double portion of, of grace and, and mercy and the perfect sacrifice that outweighs everything.
Well, so that's the, the first question then of what is this comfort that it's this pardon, this peace that, that comes through the sacrifice that God provides. But now let's look at the, the second question that we need to answer to, to find this comfort. And, and it's really how. How do we actually go about finding this comfort? And thankfully, Isaiah shows us, and, and he shows us through three voices that call out. And you'll, you'll notice that word voice uh, appearing in these three sections that, that follow. So let's look at the, the first voice, verse 3. It says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so, I mean, it's this cataclysmic image of the, the valleys are coming up, the mountains are coming down. There's this pathway appearing in the desert. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I love the, the image. And then once the highway is prepared in the desert, what comes down the road? And it says that it's the glory of God that the glory of God appears and that all flesh shall see the glory of God together. Now you can, you can think about that of the, the glory of God coming down this straight highway and you'd say, well, what is the most glorious thing that we have seen in this life? And, and you might think, well, maybe the, the most glorious thing is you know, a view from a mountain. I mean, there were times in, when we lived in Colorado where you go up in a mountain and you can just just incredible vistas all around, or you know, maybe a, a sunset that's just on fire with, with color, or a, a Beethoven symphony, or a, a paint, painting, or uh, the best book you've seen, you've read, or the best movie that you've seen, or the, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, or the, the whole stadium erupting in, in cries, that there are all sorts of aspects of our experience that we think, yeah, this, this is really glorious. This is really incredible but whatever that is the most glorious thing that we've seen that the glory of God is is far more uh, that there is really no comparison at all that he is he's more glorious more perfect more beautiful than anything that we could ever see or smell or taste or touch that that nothing through any of our our five senses can can outweigh the glory of God and you say well okay, this is, where do I see this glory then of God? Well, we see reflections of it in, in creation. Scripture says that all of the, the creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, we see it in providence, God's just daily work of upholding the world. But I think most of all, though, we see it in redemption. Because you say, well, well when will this be fulfilled? When will the, the valleys be raised up, the mountains be made low, the the highway be prepared for the coming of God. And you think, well, I don't know if this has happened literally in history, um, and, but according to Scripture in the passage that Cindy read for us for our Old Testament text, that, that this prediction here actually was fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, and, and it was the, this spiritual preparation for God's people that, that as he proclaimed was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that the, the, the spiritual mountains were brought down, the valleys 
were raised up, that the, a, a way was prepared for the glory of God to appear for all flesh to see the glory of God. And you say, well, well what's the glory then that, that came down the, the road? And it, it's Christ. And that's what we read in the book of John, chapter 1. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then the Apostle Paul says that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That, that the glory that we can't comprehend, that is beyond anything that we can imagine, that we actually see it and we witness it in Christ. And Paul also says that we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what that's saying and what, what scripture is teaching is that the way that we encounter this glory of God is by looking in, at Jesus Christ through faith and that it's in him um, that we, we find the, this true comfort, um, not in money, not in our possessions, not in approval of others, but in Christ himself, fulfilling the very purpose of humanity to glorify God and to enjoy him. And so that's the, the first voice, this glory being found, this comfort being found in the glory of God. But now let's look at the, the second voice, verse 6. It says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so sometimes I think we, we feel way down in different ways and we're, we're looking for, for comfort. And, and often it's maybe a trivial comfort. I mean, I, I laugh about that in my violin performance days, um, my undergrad, that if I had a really bad performance, I wanted people to give superficial words of comfort, to say, no, you were great. Uh, you, you, no one even noticed your mistake. It was fine, you know. That what I didn't want were, were, were honest words of, um, of truth often. I wanted superficial words of comfort. But there are times, though, when we're, when we're going through something truly serious and we, we so badly want words of comfort that to say that don't worry it's going to turn out fine uh, you won't feel this way forever there's light at the end of the tunnel there, there's hope and it's wonderful when those words come even from other people but the problem mm -hmm. is that those words we have we can't always discern whether they're they're empty promises whether they're lies people are just trying to make us feel better or is it actually truth and even if somebody says something, can it actually stand the test of time? And that's what Isaiah means when he says that the, the grass withers and the flower fades, that the words of human beings are going to pass away, but it says that the word of our God will stand forever. And of course, the, we have the, the word of God in, in Scripture. And so if we're, if we're trying to stake our comfort in something, if we stake our comfort in the words of other people, then eventually it, it'll pass away, that it's, it's not going to be here forever. But if we stake our comfort in, in God's word and something that is actually far deeper, then we'll actually find something that can 
can survive past this life into the to the next life. And this is why I think being rooted and grounded in Scripture is so important. A regular time in Scripture, reading all of Scripture, uh, working our way through the Bible, um, because the, it, it is the, the living and active Word of God. And the, the grass withers, the flower fades, and the Word of God endures forever. So it's not the, the Word of, of Oprah or of Dr. Phil or of philosophy or of um, any word, whether whether a good word or a bad word, that's going to give this true, lasting comfort that it's the word of God in Scripture. So that's the, the second voice, that we find this comfort in God's word. Uh, but now let's wrap up with the, this third and this final voice. In verse 9, Go up to a high mountain, go up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news lift up your voice and there's the voice with strength O jerusalem herald of good news lift it up fear not say to the cities of judah behold your god and i i love that it says what is the herald declaring what is the voice saying that is saying behold your god look there is god and, that, and that's our goal when we're in Scripture, when we, when we read the Bible. Uh, it's not to um, behold our own ideas. It's not to uh, somehow tickle our own intellect. But our, our goal is to behold our God. And then Isaiah unpacks this more in verse 10. He says, behold, the Lord comes with might. So he's saying, watch out. The Lord is on his way. He's going to be here. His arm for him to rule. And behold, his reward is with him, his recompense is for him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And this is what we are celebrating at this time of year. Is It says that the Lord our God comes and that he comes with might but then he comes as this, this humble shepherd, this, this good shepherd who takes on a, a true human nature, steps into our place. And, and Jesus says that I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that's the, the, the ultimate ground then of, of comfort is Beholding God, yes, in, in his glory, yes, in his power and his might, ruling as king, but beholding our God actually you know, nailed to a cross in our place.